A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution sponsored by Fido Mobile, whose financial contribution we're thankful for. Why? Because it enables us to reach more people than ever before. Stay tuned as we talk Canadian news and Black issues on a regular basis. And if you support our work to keep you informed, please subscribe. Today on The Drip, we welcome Amanda Cordner from Sort Of. Sort Of is a comedy series co-produced by CBC, HBO Max, and Sphere Media that's proudly shot in and around the city of Toronto. The series features lead character named Sabi Maboub, played by Bilal Bag, a fluid millennial who straddles various identities from a bartender at a 2S LGBTQ plus bookstore and bar, to the youngest child in a large Pakistani family, to the de facto parent of a downtown Toronto hipster family. From gender, to love, to sexuality, to family, to career, Sabi feels like they're in transition. Sort of exposes the labels people people once poured themselves into as no longer applicable to anyone. Amanda Corner is an actor, clown, dancer, singer, theater creator, playwright, and filmmaker who graduated from York University with a BFA in theater, and she ain't looked back since. Corner was named one of Canada's rising screen stars by Now Magazine in April 2022 and was one of that publication's top 10 theater artists of 2018. As a television performer, Cordner has garnered enthusiastic reviews for her breakthrough performance as Seven in Sorta. She's also featured in series like Station Eleven, Slow Pitch, The Expanse, and The Baroness Von Sketch Show. As an audiobook storyteller, you can hear her in The Beguiling by Susie Gartner and Burning Questions by Margaret Atwood. Her play, Body So Fluorescent, co-created with David Giovanni, debuted at Summerworks, and she continues to partner with independent theater companies and performance artists. Kortner recently teamed up with the renowned Bacchus Orchestra Tafel Music as the solo actor-narrator in The Gull, The Raccoon, and The Last Maple, which was streamed internationally. During the hiatus from sort of, Kortner dove into gaming where her varied and energetic performances will be featured in games set to debut in 2023. Very cool. Today, (laughs) Today we'll be asking Amanda to cover perspectives as Amanda and as Seven. So here's more about Seven. Seven is a 20-something gender-fluid person and sort of almost art curator. Underneath all of that bravado, there's a vulnerable person who has a genuine concern for the people in, in their life. Seven and Sabby have been friends since high school, and Seven has remained Sabby's closest and most trusted friend. When Seven's mother really pops in their life, Seven's tolerance and patience for Gaia's resolute character, albeit not too unlike their own, will be put to the test. And it's a pleasure to have her. Sorry, I'm gonna stop with the pronouns. <laughs> How are you, Amanda? I am so well. Thank you so much. 
Good, 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 good. So we're, there's plenty to discuss about your work and sort of and beyond. So why don't we jump right in? Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) So Seven provides comic relief in a show full of heavy, very heavy themes, including family issues, identity, financial insecurity. But I wonder how you navigate introducing the world to the gender spectrum while navigating a black non-binary character. Do you struggle at all to define and explore blackness through your character? No. I don't. <laughs> Tell us more. What's beautiful uh, about this character and about this show is that, yes, it follows these queer, trans, non-binary, BIPOC characters. However, it's not about that. Mm. That is only part of who they are, just like any of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, we lead very full lives and have beautiful relationships and friendships and uh, come to crossroads in our careers and are faced with big decisions, life decisions, choices, uh, which to me, being a human being, Mm -hmm. navigating that is what is my priority as Amanda and as this character. So it really doesn't come into... um, the struggle's not there to define anything. Mm-hmm. We're just living. Mm. Love that. So, if we if we take a look at Sebi real quick, she, you know, Sebi is socially located within a conservative, but I'd say fairly thoughtful Pakistani household. As they navigate two worlds, Seven's family is never shown on camera, at least to the point that I've seen so far. But it sounds like some wealth runs within it, considering the house's fluorescent light comment. I remember when that scene occurred. Am I right about that? Or, or if not, what is Seven's family like? What are we going to see as, as you know, the series continues to unfold? Uh, so, hell yeah, Seven comes from money. <laughs> I, knew <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Yes. Um, and... You know, there's that thing, and this is not all families with money, but a lot of families, a lot of families with money, parents with money, um, are so. Well, Seven's parents, in particular, in my mind, are so career focused mm. that yeah. they don't really have time for their only kid, who, uh, in season one, is always alone in the house, alone, doesn't mm-hmm. want to spend. You know, after coming back from. Berlin experiencing um, that traumatic event, you know, sh- they didn't want to be alone in that big house. Mm-hmm. So Sabi sleeps over. So in season two, you see, you get to meet the mother and gain more insight into the origin of Seven, mm-hmm. why Seven is the way they are. And, you know, parents are always the roadmap, <laughs> the proof yeah. of who we are, not all of it, not all of us, but the origins are there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you, you kind of touched on it and I, I'd love to explore that. Um, near the end of season one, you know, Seven unfortunately experiences that traumatic event, as you mentioned, while on their trip to Berlin, which yes. is noted as one of the friendliest places for them to explore themselves. Yes. So in your opinion, what did that experience underscore 
about Seven's reality? Was there a, a wider lesson to be garnered from that ordeal? Absolutely. Mm. I think uh, Seven is a little naive, mm. young, mm. Um, very into authentic self-expression, which is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in the, I think in the need to discover one's authentic self, sometimes we think it's beyond us or outside of our home or beyond uh, what we, what we know. And, and it could, you could find it while traveling and you could find it while doing anything that right. challenges yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the greatest challenge is dealing what's with I think the greatest challenge is dealing with what's in your own mind. Wrestling with mm. yourself. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you don't have to fly in a plane to escape because you truly you can't physically. Right. <laughs> you can go everywhere and anywhere and your mind will follow you. Right. You know? Right. Right. And so I think with seven. It's like the fantasy is always better than the reality. And the fantasy was queer, everlasting <laughs> um, adventures. And especially like if Seven's best friend was going to be there, it was going to be even better. Mm -hmm. And um, they were going to work the their dream job, which turned out to be not what they thought. Mm -hmm. And live in their dream town, fully expressing their queer self without any kind of ramifications. But there's no such thing, mm -hmm. not for Seven and not for any of us. Mm -hmm. The fantasy is always more colorful, wild than the dull gray reality. <laughs> <laughs> not always dull, but I think... Uh, when compared to our imaginations, it can it can fall under underwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just just to give you some some background on who we are, Curtis and I. So yes. I, I my, my full time job, um, I actually work as a director of, of EDI, and um, I'm, I'm trying to as as every kind of professional who works in this kind of space trying to bring folks along with, with, with race and anti-Black racism, Islamophobia, that stuff, but also yes. with um, gender and moving from seeing gender as a binary to gender as a spectrum. So I'm wondering in the real world, as Amanda Cordner, what kind of feedback or, or what, what have you overheard um, in terms of um, you know, members of your Black family or Black community about this show in particular? Um, my parents specifically mm -hmm. love the show, love what I do and support me a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, my family, my extended family, you know, a lot of them can't even watch the show because they hear the word trans and they shut down. Mm -hmm. Um, and what's funny, it's like, <laughs> I have a couple commercials on TV and they've seen that it comes if you you know have cable it comes up and yeah. they think that's a marker of my success Amanda you did it did what <laughs> you know advertise have a a company use my face to advertise their brand mm -hmm. which I did for a paycheck you know which I I don't throw under the bus like commercials are <laughs> 
yeah, great yeah. infusion of cash. Get your money. <laughs> for real, for real. You know what pains me? I mean, I, I won't drag. I, I did one for a, a specific bank and and uh, someone was like, oh, I saw your commercial. And because of that, oh, God, I got insurance with that bank. And I was like, no. <laughs> what have I done? That's all it took in <laughs> one commercial. <laughs> oh, no. But it's amazing how consistently, not totally, but consistently, many of my family members have not seen the art mm-hmm. that I am proud to be a part of, that I am proud is internationally, especially the show, internationally renowned. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm busy and I don't know if this show's for me. And maybe if I hung down, maybe if I hung out in Toronto more, like in the city, I'd be used to seeing those people. Who are those people? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, it's quite interesting this. And you know, a part of me, my ego, my bruised ego is like, well, why can't you just support me? Yeah. And watch the show. If you support me, watch one episode. <laughs> but I think, you know, greater conversations need to be had. And I I get such I get so emotionally worked up too that I need to be in the headspace to have compassionate conversations. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so it hasn't happened yet. When I think about uh, the intersection of being being trans or just not binary, not not kind of subscribing to the to the binary system, uh, and being black, I think about yeah. how the, the Black Lives Matter movement in Toronto was driven by trans folks. Absolutely. And and how for those of us who weren't, you know on the front lines of that movement, we have certainly benefited from it, you know? And um, if that doesn't raise some awareness about the humanity of uh, folks who are on the spectrum, um, sorry, that sounds like I'm talking about autism now, but folks who are, folks who are (laughs) not like men or not, not um, cisgender. Yes. Mm -hmm. That was the word I was looking for. Folks who are not cisgender. I, I think that we're, we're really, we're, we're moving backwards as a community and we're, we're so often pointing the finger at, you know, white people or other folks that, for being backwards, but th- that's, that's pretty backwards to me. Oh yeah. And I know, and we all have different gauges for backwards, right? Yeah. You, you know, um, it's like black people, we have suffered so much racially and then you add gender, sexual orientation. And then within my own damn community, I'm being oppressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my, I have, I'm mixed race. I have, my mother's Italian. My dad's from Trinidad. Mm. And um, when I like told my mom or my parents that I was queer, my mom was like, in like, we've come a long way from this. Uh, uh, but her initial knee jerk reaction was, you're already black. Why do you want to add this to? Mm-hmm. That's real. Why do you, you want to suffer with this too? Ooh. And I was like, uh. <laughs> you know, you're treating me the same way my Italian grandparents treated you when you brought home dad. <laughs> you better call that out. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, she's like, no, it's not the same because dad's a man. 
And do you see, like, do you see the disconnect? (laughs) It's pretty gaping. Mind blowing, mind blowing to me. That like, you know, yes, race is one thing and it's like, oh yeah, we've dealt with it. And then you add sexuality, gender, and it's a whole other level of, um, well, just misinformation, ignorance, you know, if you're not... If you're not in it, then you don't know it. If you don't know people, then you really don't know it. Yeah. Um, and just the assumption that it's harder. It is sometimes, but I think, I hope it's getting better. I hope, yeah. I don't know. I hope shows like this like sort of will um, really just give people a glimpse of the humanity. I think they will. I, th- I think this yeah. show... It does an excellent job of providing some some insight into um, the, the, exactly what you said the the humanity the kind of normalcy of yeah. you know folks who are who are who are not cisgender who are who are trans so I think um, it's yeah it's excellent I, I think since George Floyd we're we're kind of moving towards uh, some accountability yes. uh, and accountability with policing accountability in, in schools uh, but also accountability in what what goes on TV what we watch so curious about your thoughts on the representation and depictions of black folks in general and black women in particular uh, on in particular on on Canadian uh, television well on Canadian television there's not many right, right. <laughs> um tons in American television and spanning all kinds of uh, character backgrounds, which is really cool Mm -hmm. to see. Um, But in Canada, what's happening here? Hmm. We have an idea. We we have an idea (laughs) because of last week's conversation we had with Floyd Kane, who runs uh, Digstown. Okay. okay. Curious to hear your thoughts though. Uh, I think about this so much and I wonder who is, who needs to answer this question. I'm like, is it networks? Is it producers? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I know creators are out there. Don't talk to me. Don't tell me that there's no creators um, pitching work right. um, yeah. because I know people are. Mm-hmm. And so it's those who are, it's those gatekeepers and who think or believe that certain stories aren't marketable to Canadian audiences. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. not? Why are we, why are you coddling Canadian audiences? Um, and even that, that's to say like, <laughs> if you had more uh, black even black queer representation on Canadian television that it would be uh, like the opposite. If I'm saying, yeah, we're worried about not, we're worried about coddling audiences by protecting them, by keeping them off the air as if to say it's too dangerous to put it on, to put characters, um, to put black queer um, characters on the screen. I don't know what I don't know what the hesitance is. I don't know what the hesitation is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are people just not thinking about it, which seems kind of weird too? Because you know, this is the time. This is the time to be alive. We're everywhere, commercials, and I have thoughts about that too. 
<laughs> you know? Um, uh, I think these stories are being, our stories are being prioritized. Um, but Canada, it's slow. Why? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Last week, when we spoke to uh, Floyd Kane, showrunner, creator of Digstown, yeah. he said TV is not made for, for Black people. Uh, you know what? Go for it. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I talk about how, like, awards, like, diversity awards and um, certain awards given to diverse, and I'm, like, doing air quotes here, diverse exactly. communities – um, I, I, I talked to my, uh, my, my peeps about this of like you white, uh, media entertainment gatekeepers have thrown up walls, boundaries, country mm-hmm. lines that mm-hmm. black people are undesirable. No one wants to see black stories. More than one black person on the screen becomes a black story, uh, mm-hmm. unmarketable, uh, unaccessible, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then you give awards <laughs> to us when we break through those boundaries. You give award, you're like, oh, wow, you somehow made it past these barriers that we put up for you. Good work. <laughs> Here's an award. Here's a diverse for having so much diversity. Why isn't there already? It's true. Um, I don't know. I'm just so tired, patience and Curtis. I'm so tired. <laughs> No, it's it's exhausting. Yes. It's ex- it's uh, like we we like it. There's nothing uh, like so. The, some of the things that we hear, you know, is oh well, well, black people are immigrants. Well, that's not true. Black people have been here since the 1600s for real. So Canada too, okay, multi generational. Right? Like, like we're 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 a distinct community that has really powerful stories to tell. Most of our stories that have been on television have been historical. You know, if we talk, we think about. Book of Negroes. Yes. If we think about um, even, even the Porter, the, the Porter yeah. which is an excellent production. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, but historical. But where? He, why must you see us as slaves or slaves adjacent? Yeah. <laughs> real, I, as if that's the only story we have. Yeah, it's interesting as well because part of what Floyd said last week was that where Canada is now is where the United States was back in in the 80s, essentially, where they were just Mm -hmm. coming to terms with the fact that there are, you know, diverse demographics out there with buying power, and Mm -hmm. we need to start speaking to them. And and, and that's where diversification in media starts to really take hold. Yes. Um, And he he also mentioned that, I'm pretty sure he was speaking to the fact that he had pitched shows like Dixtown, other places. And it just so happened that CBC was one of the broadcasters who would be, who yes. were willing to engage with this art. Right. Yes. Um, and there's also the, uh, there's, a, there's another part of it too, though. So there, there, so there's basically what I just mentioned. And then there's also, I mean, if we look at the United States again, what has allowed black and, uh, art from the LGBTQ2 community and other communities to flourish, uh, even with pressure from whether it be racists or, 
you know, just angry uh, people, mm. it's groups coming together with their own resources. Yes. And what we're seeing happening, in fact, right now is uh, like, I don't know if you know about the Black Opportunity Fund, Amanda, but they are essentially a fund that is meant to fund Blackness, <laughs> Black organizations yeah. in perpetuity. Uh, and they're actually running their, um, they're doing their grants portion for criminal justice and arts and culture focused initiatives right now. So the, the hope is that moving forward, there'll be more resources and less gatekeeping. Yes, please. Right? That's certainly the hope. Yeah. I uh, was in France representing sort of, they were nominated for an award, the Diversify Awards at the MIPCOM mm. uh, conference in Cannes, mm -hmm. France. And uh, we we ended up winning. Great. Oh, congratulations. Uh, great. Yeah, thanks <laughs> for the LGBTQ2SS plus category <laughs> scripted series. Um, and that, that, conference specifically uh producers uh network executives lawyers it's like a, it's a business haven everybody from around the world comes to this conference to buy and sell shows hmm. so when we won that award i went up there and i knew who i was talking to and i said to them it's up to you to say yes to a project which may not in the moment be marketable. Mm -hmm. To have vision for something beyond its immediate marketability. Mm -hmm. And it's up to you. Like this is a room full of white people right. <laughs> at a diversify award, yeah. you know, uh, ceremony. But who's there? Who like look at look at you all? It's up to, like right now. In this moment, you know, for like for sort of, for example, mm -hmm. Sienna Films took on, well, now Sphere Media took on this project, brought it to CBC. CBC said yes. And, you know, when Fab and Bilal talk about it, they, they speak, they say it's as if an, a wormhole in time opened up yeah. for them to be allowed to get this show on air. And thankfully, you know, thankfully it did because I think and I hope it opens more doors for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hey, everybody, Curtis here. Hoping you've been enjoying this very, very real conversation with Amanda Cordner of CBC's Sort Of, streaming now on CBC Gem. The conversation gets real still, so be sure not to skip part two. And as always, thanks for listening.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 